Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, the film podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is new to two. Hello everybody, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me for this week of new to two, Nicole Davis, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited. This was an interesting This was an interesting choice. This was an interesting movie question mark to watch. Yeah. And yeah, this is a, it is a, a font of discussion topics. Yes, can we sing like this the whole time we talk about it? And then randomly scream too. It's called Sprechstimme and it's a centuries long tradition, Brett. Gosh dang it. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Uh, David Luzader, how are you? Oh, I am doing great. Because this movie, like, I have known about this movie for a very long time. Since around when it was coming out. Didn't see it until year, just like a few years ago at this point. And it's just been, like, living in my head rent-free in that way of, like, remember it? Like, I would see Anthony Stewart head and be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, Repo, the genetic opera. But I, and I wanted to talk about it, but I never had anybody to talk to. So I created this scenario where I trapped the two of you in a podcast for years to make you eventually watch this movie. Yeah, this really is like a weird amalgamation of you did this to us and Netflix roulette type movies, except you did this to us. No regrets. Because, of course, new to two means neither myself nor Nicole have ever seen it before. Before we dive into it, though, next week's movie, it is... Netflix Roulette Week. A reminder, we have added Amazon Prime into that wheel since so many folks have Amazon. So we spin the wheel. It spits out something that's going to be on either Netflix or Amazon Prime, the free videos on Prime uh, with your membership. And we got Llamageddon. Yeah, it's a llama and it comes from outer space and it kills college kids. So what the f*** did I just... I think his computer probably. And I was so excited. I accidentally clicked the Llamageddon trailer getting away from this. But now we're back and I'm still <laughs> recording. All right. Llamageddon. Important question. I couldn't wait. <laughs> will, that, will that llama repossess your organs if you don't pay? I We're going to find out next week. I do love their website. It has an official rejection. Sundance Festival 2020. <laughs> official rejection from, from uh, AFI. They have all their official rejections listed. <laughs> so that's pretty great. Llamageddon, check it out for Primeflix Roulette next week. But this week, it was Repo, the genetic opera. It came out in 2009. Gotta take a dig- deep breath in here for this one. In a dystopian future where organ failure is common and replacements come with a steep payment plan, organ supplier Geneco reigns supreme. CEO Rati Largo is expected to bequeath his company to one of his awful children upon his demise, but secretly plans to will the company to Shiloh, the daughter of an old flame. Shiloh has a blood disease that her doctor father Nathan is treating, but it forces her to stay shut away from the world. What Shiloh doesn't know is that Nathan is also Gene Co's repo man, who is sent to repossess Gene Co's property by any means necessary when the clients can't pay their bills. There's also a lot about a drug called Zydrate, and it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the plot. So I suppose we can start there. What the hell is Zydrate, and why is it in this movie? 
so Zydrate is a painkiller that is both manufactured, but there's a street version that is pulled out of dead people and has the exact same effect. There seems to be no ill side effects to using the dead person version, so I don't know why you would pay top dollar. Even uh, the, what's her name, uh, Paris Hilton, which, my God, do we, <laughs> we have so much <laughs> to talk about. And look, I'm not going to attack Paris Hilton as a person. I'm going to just talk about her performance in this movie. But she is like addicted to the street version and it's there's so much introduced at the start of this movie there's so much like thrown at you like designer organs and and repossession and and zydrate and only by the end of the movie is half of it relevant to what goes on and even that is a, a stretch perhaps because much like like zydrate is in the exact same place at the end as it is in the beginning it's not like regulated or made illegal or people who are taking zydrate turn into weird zombies and like the designer organ thing is just like a a detail that right. is just a detail. Yeah. There's a lot of detail in this world just for details sake. Like Zydrate has literally mm-hmm. nothing to do with the main plot such as it is of this movie. Right. It's just happens to be one of the things that Gene Co manufactures. And it's an excuse for the grave robber to be around who collects Zydrate from corpses so that he can lurk around the edges of things and explain stuff to us. The grave robber. Well, the pro- hold up, before we get to the, to the grave robber, the process for getting Zydrate out of a body, too, is just stick a needle in their nose and uh, pull the extractor out, and there you've got Zydrate. Blue goo. That yeah. Is the process. yeah. No processing involved. No, <laughs> no the unsanitized. No centrifuges, <laughs> you know, nothing like that. The unsanitary way that various and even like the repo not that repo man just as a long-standing sci-fi tradition has been particularly sanitary uh this might take the cake in terms of organs they might not actually want back when the repo man is done with them (laughs) yeah the methodology seems sketchy (laughs) real sketchy it like borders into gleeful torture and i'm like okay borders but before yeah we'll get to that we'll get to that but yeah, you have this grave robber dude, and he doesn't serve any purpose to the story aside from to move it to one scene to the next and to be a narrator type archetype. But he has some of the best musical numbers in the movie. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's also, yeah, it's worth pointing out that he's also the writer of the film. So. He really wants you to to make sure that you you know what's going on. It's like I spent a lot of time on this. You're gonna be up caught up to speed, right? Yeah, he's one of the co-writers of the original stage production. He's one of the composers of the music. He originated the role on stage of Grave Robber, and I mean that's the name of the character. They never give him an actual Christian name as such. Uh, it's just Grave Robber, and something about how I don't know he just seemed so invested in this in his performance in his sort of urgency that I actually kind of knew before I knew that he was one of the writers in some way either of the music or of the book just because of I think because a he seemed so invested and B, he was not somebody I recognized from literally anything else. Yeah. So I'm just like, I bet he's a stage actor originally. Therefore, 
I bet he was in the stage production and maybe even wrote it. He also is like a detail of the world that disappears at some point because he's like around, he's narrating and then like gets put into a garbage truck or like goes into a garbage truck and is gone until the end of the movie when he comes back and is like, and here's we're wrapping everything up now. You thought that I might be relevant. Well, you were wrong. Yeah, he looks like a a Beetlejuice character that's just kind of like dropped into the story. And apparently this guy is in another movie called The Devil's Carnival. Which he also co-wrote. Yeah, same director. And also has Paul Sorvino. We'll get into that. I mean, just out of morbid curiosity, I need to see that movie now. But one thing I wanted to mention toward the top here is that it's this weird amalgamation of like 1970s avant-garde film and something that clearly had enough of a budget to build these big soundstage productions that there's a lot of really intricate set pieces. There's quite a bit of practical production work. It's fairly impressive. And it reminded me a ton of what is now trending on TikTok with Gen Z's rediscovering it, uh, possibly in Michigan, which is this low-quality 1980s indie short film uh, that has like creepy music and like weird musical numbers mixed with like a murder subplot in a mall, presumably in Michigan. And that's from the 80s. <laughs> and like this kind of feels like that while also having music that is so. Okay, the music, I will get into that in a, in a little bit, but the style of the music is so mid aughts in its delivery and its angst. This is like straight out of like a Panic at the Disco record. It's just so angsty, lathered in angst. Goth rock, for the most part. It reminded me a lot, actually, not in the way that it looks, but in sort of tonally, it reminded me a lot of Phantom of the Paradise. I don't know if either of you have seen that. I hate that movie so much. (laughs) (laughs) I have such a deep-seated hatred for Phantom of the Paradise. Okay, wow. Interesting. Mental note, yeah. I feel like I'm mentioning that. Natalie will be on you did this to us. But it is it it both looks good and it doesn't, you know. It's like it was made for eight and a half million, mostly the director's money, because he was really passionate about getting this put to film. Spent eight and a half million, made less than two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> And he had to, in order to get that, he had to take it in a roadshow format and can sell it to theaters to show because Lionsgate gave it no marketing money. They did not know what to do with this. (laughs) They didn't know how to market it. They didn't know if they wanted to market it. This was the same year that, unfortunately, Paris Hilton's star vehicle, the hottie and the naughty was released. (laughs) And perhaps they were trying to distance themselves from that dumpster fire. But yeah, so this bombed with a resounding clonk, but it's so strange. It is such a strange looking thing because it's it's artificial looking. It looks like it was shot on a soundstage and they don't really try to make it look realistic. It's an exaggerated world. It's a heightened, everything is heightened, but I mean, it's an opera, you know, it's a goth rock opera. That's the whole point. And like an opera, there's very little spoken dialogue 
and there's like a speak singing, which is Sprechstimme in the German. Uh, it's done a lot in Mozart operas where they just sort of talk singing from one aria to the next. Right. It was a close one. Dad. Shh, too close. Dad, what happened? You're gonna be all right. Now that's all that matters. Was I outside? Shh, no shy. There were these bodies. Sort of bridged the gap, but it... I don't know. It's just, I got to stop now because otherwise I'll just keep going in random directions because this movie kind of encourages that. Yes, it's, it does. It's a, movie, it, it's a movie that dares you to look away because yeah. you're going to miss something insane. If you do, you're going, you're going to miss a guy using a body as a battery ram to get through a wall. You're going to miss uh, Anthony Stewart head using a man as a puppet. You're going to miss Sarah Brightman plucking her own eyes out on stage. Like there's just so much happens <laughs> that it, it's like hard to watch at times when he's like pulling all those organs. That's like, it's comical. Cause it's, you know, that's not You're very rubbery and fake looking organs, but there's, yeah, there's still like really gross. And there's just like, like you never know what's going to happen at any next turn, no matter how long you've been watching the movie. And it's such a weird, or how many times probably. Also <laughs> right. <laughs> But even like the camera style of the film, there's times where this $8 million production it looks like it was filmed on a flip video. And then there's times where it looks a lot better than that. And it's just always fluctuating between those two states of being because it's dimly lit sometimes, aggressively so to, to its disadvantage. But there's so much going on on the screen at all times. And Nicole, you mentioned their speak singing. Yeah, and I mean it's it's worth noting that the director is the director of three of the Saw movies. Yeah, and he brought some of the crew over to shoot this movie, and I think that kind of shows not in the certainly not in the color palette. Right. This is Technicolor pops against a dark background uh, versus Saw's just relentless drab brownie black good right dirty just dirt color <laughs> you think the crew knew like do you think that he was just like all right guys great great job shooting that leg cut off scene now uh we're gonna go across the street and shoot a couple <laughs> things it might look like a different movie but don't worry about it uh let's right there might be some singing don't you don't let that freak you out <laughs> yeah the studio said they're cool with it yeah <laughs> i why do I have a feeling that this guy probably made some of the worst Saw movies, though? Maybe I, I which which Saw movies are we talking about? Because one and two, one and two are like classic horror. No, actually, no. He made two, three, and four. Okay, two's a good movie. All right, all right. Yeah, I'll give him that. Well, two was originally going to be a different movie. That uh, right. I don't know if he had written it or, he, but he'd been shopping it around and trying to get that made. And they're like, well, we'll make it if you can make it a saw movie. And he was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> let's retcon some stuff in there. Yeah. Two is just like two hours of Donnie Wahlberg trying to open a safe. Like it's fine. It's good. Um, <laughs> okay. So the speak singing, I understand that there maybe is musical precedent for it, but my God, it just, everything talks like this. And then like, there's a weird part to it because part of it's like operatic particularly Paul Sorvino will just go into full opera yeah. bouts. And then part of it is like yeah. angsty mid aughts 
alternative rock um looking at you nathan dr dad where he'll just like turn and like anxiously look at the camera in his like button up plaid shirt and be like i am a murderer and like just like do that and it was just so much overflowing and i just i felt like i was going insane at some point i'm like is this even a movie like what is happening this movie it broke me a little bit this broke me a little bit I didn't know that Paul Sorvino had those pipes. Me either. I was very surprised. I was like, I did because he starts out like speak singing for the most part. And then there's this part where he's in a limousine and he opens up and he goes full operatic. And I was just like, Whoa, where did this come from? Why wasn't he doing this earlier? Why hasn't he been doing this from the beginning? There is hope and antidote. And you could be the first to sample it, the Ginkgo fix to all blood diseases. And I could use someone like you, the poster child of progress. It's the cure you saw, Shiloh. Your chance to see the world, Shiloh. Grasp. And he. He had some pipes, especially for a man his age. I mean, he was what, like 70 when this was made. Yeah. What was your response, Nicole, as someone who had just seen this for the first time as well, to realizing that it's not a gag in the opening scene? They're going to sing like this the entire movie. (laughs) Oh, no, I knew. I knew that it was going to be sung the whole way through. Oh, you did? I did not. Yes. It's it's an opera. I I didn't know I I thought I thought that this was going to be a little bit more Rocky horror where they were just like breakout dance numbers opera literally in the title of the movie Brett <laughs> I, I realize that I realize that but no I was expecting more like breakout dance numbers which there are in this movie as well like there's that weird theater scene sort of there's not a lot of dancing there's sort of like accessory dancing as accessory to the singing yeah the only two numbers that are that seem like there's three things that come to mind that are like very more traditional ish uh, in their style, which is like the scene where they have the genetic opera where there's the introduction and the maestro comes in and, and all the, you know, all the women like that's, that's very musical. Then there's a scene where I believe it is the grave robber has come to give Paris her, Zydoc or what is it called again? Zydrate. Zydrate. And they they just dance in the alley for a while. Yeah, the Zydrate anatomy number. Yeah, they dance mm-hmm. in the alley for a while. Blood market. Love market. Sometimes I wonder why they need me at all. Zydrate comes in a little glass vial. A little glass vial? A little glass vial. And the little glass vial goes into the gun like a battery. And the Zydrate gun goes somewhere against your anatomy. And when the gun goes off, it sparks and you're ready for surgery. And then there's one more where Father Dr. Nathan, I just love, I like calling him Father Dr. Nathan because that's what you put in our topic. And I think that's funny. (laughs) But Father Dr. Nathan has his like, I'm unappreciated, but also gleefully love my torture of people getting their organs from them. And that's more sing-songy too. Well, there's also the daughter's I want song 
Ugh, yeah, the daughter. Okay, Shiloh. She's like, I have a blood disease. It's terrible that I have a blood disease. I want to okay. go outside, but I can't go outside. Why? Why, Why can't she go outside? <laughs> like, it's, it's, there's no. Of course, she's going to go outside at like every single opportunity because she's not supposed to. There's no explanation <laughs> given in this movie as to why she can't go outside when apparently the only remedy necessary is meds that she has. Well, because she has a, like a, a blood disease, and like if she goes out there, who knows? What can That's not an answer. Who knows? Look, man, if you're looking for logic, logic wrong. It's the only answer you're gonna get, Brett. Yeah. Shiloh. <laughs> to go back to Nathan, which is played by Anthony Stewart Head, who played Giles on Buffy, and um, is a great actor and, and a great singer too. I think one of the one of the best singers in the movie. I think he has like a voice for hundred percent for a rock opera. Uh, yeah. regardless of the quality of the film, he has the voice for a rock opera. Sure. And he, he is somebody that like is shows up as, cause he plays and he played this really good in, in Buffy too. This like really angsty kind of like tortured soul. And he has this whole song about, uh, I'm living a lie. My daughter can never know. Uh, I I'm so torn up about what I do. Like the, the song is called legal assassin, which is a great name for a song. Years roll by without you, Marnie. Seventeen have come and gone. I raised our Shiloh with the best intentions. But there is something I can tell her. I'm lost without you here. I am only living out a lie. And then he has a song a little bit later in the movie called Thankless Job, right. which is when he's pulling the organs out of the guy and ends up using him as a puppet. And he's just like, singing like this. <laughs> it's so weird for the character, but also to be like, to see him chewing up scenery in a way I had never seen Anthony Stewart had trying to chew on scenery before. It's a thankless job. Somebody's got to do it. Peeling off the tissue inch by inch, skinning off the muscles too. Harvesting the kidneys for the fall, saving up the livers in the fridge. No one ever thanks me when I'm done. Thankless job is my favorite scene in the movie. Well, apparently he got like called in to audition for the role because they saw him in that that episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer once more with feeling where everybody sings I wish I could say the right words to lead you through this land wish I could play the father and take you by the hand wish I could stay but now I understand I am standing in the way. And they're like, oh, that dude can sing. Let's, let's audition that guy. <laughs> and a good thing they did because, I mean, he, I thought he was fantastic. Oh, yeah. And I mean, he sells a guy who's tortured and has this sweet yet overbearing love for his daughter, but takes this. I think I would call it like a bitter glee in his job because he has to do his job as the repo man. So he might as well enjoy it and he might as well be evil while he's doing it because 
damn it, he's going to hell for this anyway, so why not? Right. You know, he's that's the sort of the, the feeling I got from it. He's the only one really acting in the movie. Um, hmm. Well, okay, he's the only one who's acting well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, although, you know, with with what the grave robber has, I think he does a good job. I think he's sure. effectively charming. Uh, he gets, you know, he explains things well. He takes the... <laughs> explains things well. <laughs> <laughs> he takes the teenage girl from point A to point B when she needs to, when she needs to get to the next scene. You know, oh, quick, come through this tent flap and we'll get you to the next scene. Let's go. You know, so... I think, yeah. I think Sarah Brightman as the blind mag, she she's reasonably good in that role. Yes, she's not given a ton she's to called do. upon to make a lot of theatrical gestures, and Sarah Brightman's excellent at that. She exactly. yeah. originated the role of Christine in Phantom of the Opera, you know, when she was married to Andrew Lloyd Webber. And she was I'm not gonna say that she was the original crossover classical artist, but she was when it first really became super popular. Right. Mm -hmm. Her albums sold on the, her like classical albums sold on the pop charts. Oh yeah. Having worked in the live event industry, you know, her, what, like Andrea Bocelli, like those are the kind of people that come through and yeah. still manage to fill reasonably decent sized arenas um, for doing classical music. Yeah. Josh Groban's taking that up. Exactly. So I do love the ADR in this movie. Uh, they tried for a movie that's all song. <laughs> no, I love in the I love it because it's bad. Uh, it's just no one's a good enough actor in this movie to pull it off well. <laughs> it's not great. Well, yeah, I mean, but also part of that is to blame for whoever like had to handle the ADR and then mix it all together and yeah, and try to. to make it work and i mean you could tell they they there are parts of this movie um i think the the whole opening scene from what i read they like kind of had to stealth shoot because they didn't have the budget for it and like weren't approved for it so they had to like kind of throw it together on the low so i'm sure they were running out of money by the time production was about to end yeah i expect that's why there are these sort of comic booky sequences interspersed oh. throughout the movie is right. to cover for stuff that had to get cut out for time or flow or it worked on the stage, but it wouldn't work in a film. That's kind of some of the problem with the ADR too, is, you know, they bring the print to the studio and the studio is like, okay, cut eight minutes out of it. And they go, uh, where? And everybody's singing the whole time and people are going to notice if two stanzas suddenly drop out and <laughs> that doesn't work. So they had to do a lot of, they had to do a lot of covering for that. I can only imagine how much of a mess this movie must have been in the editing room, just with just with the amount going on. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the comic yeah. book strips because they are interspersed throughout the movie and they're they're used as this narrative tool, particularly in the beginning, to give you the whole basis of this movie. I'll very quickly run through this for the audience. Tell me if I'm missing anything. Basically, you have Nathan and. There is his wife who had died, Marnie. Their child is Shiloh. But before Marnie was with Nathan, she was with Roddy. Roddy, played by Paul Servino, is the guy that runs Gene Co. He's the one that discovered or you know found how to do 
organ transplants and organ, you know, all sorts of stuff that has extended people's lives and changed their lives and done all sorts of cool things for them. And now he's maniacal and he needs Nathan to be his repo man. Because what happened was Nathan believed he killed his wife, Marnie, when in reality, Roddy killed her to get even because she picked a different man over him. And then we have a whole array of children that are Paul Servino's or Roddy Largo's children, and they all think they're going to inherit this thing. There's Blind Mag, who is like the best friend of Marnie when Marnie was alive, and now is the spokeswoman for Gene Co. because he restored her eyesight and she can sing. Uh, and all of this is explained to you in like a three minute animated comic that could probably be its own movie. <laughs> you could probably have yeah. a prequel to this movie just on what I just said. Also, by the way, drawn by the guy who plays the grave robber. Yeah. This guy was very invested in this movie on, on a <laughs> level. <laughs> but yes, there, there is a lot of backstory. There is a lot of, I think uh, there was a review that Nicole, you shared with us where the guy basically said like, it's a lot of movie and it absolutely is. It's 98 minutes, but there's yeah. so much plot jam packed into it that you're you're right brett there's this whole like other story that could have been its own movie that happened before this even began and we're now just like dealing with the fallout of it but it has to be explained to us you're like okay so you you understand now why nathan is doing this but like you have to know that roddy is really this super bad dude and has been doing all these things all his life and now here's his terrible children Man, I feel really bad for Paul Sorvino when you look him up on Google and the first photo that comes up is instead Harvey Weinstein because he's apparently not famous enough for Google to get his photo right. I feel like someone should point that out. That really sucks. (laughs) That's drawing a bad straw right there. Yeah. Okay. So I also want to talk about those siblings I just mentioned. Uh, The siblings do their patter Uh songs. Very painful. Uh, and a musical with legitimately talented singers is jarring to have scenes full of purposely bad singing. I mean, these siblings, and I don't mean this in a political way, would be like if all the Trump children had a musical. Like, you just have to imagine... <laughs> you have to imagine that Don Jr. and Eric would be the two brothers. I'm not. Don is definitely the angry one, and yeah. Eric is definitely the one with a yeah. weird face. And yeah. then... Yep. Ivanka. And then so Ivanka would be Amber. Yeah. Is Amber. This came together better than I thought. With the plastic surgery. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean although I don't know if Ivanka yeah. wants a singing career. I <laughs> but yet this number, they have this number oh. where they're sort of talking to each other and they're arguing with one another. And it so is bad. huge and cartoony and Terrible. One brain market up. Oh. Only I got brains enough. That's why Pop will leave Gene Co to me. Me, 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 me. Uh, ask a gentleman who they prefer. Ten out of nine will say the Polly. Uh-huh. The most dashing, fans are snatching. I will leave your diapers dripping. Like the lyrics are bad and the singing is poor and the everything is, I mean, yes, this is a heightened world, but like I said, this is cartoonish in how big, especially, you know, Luigi, the oldest brother is, is going 
with this. This is a guy who played, can't remember the actor's name. He was Chop Top in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And he's been in a bunch of, he's part of like Rob Zombie's favorite acting group. And then the other dude, the other brother is played by the singer from Skinny Puppy. Mm-hmm. Um, Nivek Ogre. Ogre. Or, yeah. <laughs> or just goes by Ogre sometimes, I guess. Um, and then, of course, Amber is played by Paris Hilton. And I will, I will say I was, I'm really glad that I saw this for the first time now and not back in 2009 because she was in that, like, that Benefer space of, like, tremendous overexposure. People were completely sick of her. She was mostly famous for being famous, but she was trying to have a singing career and trying to have an acting career. Uh, and she was super passionate about getting this movie made. Uh, and at one point when they needed like $50,000 for the production, she booked a nightclub appearance <laughs> um, and gave them her earnings from that to cover it. I mean, sure. But I'm super glad I saw it because I thought she was okay. It could definitely have been worse. Absolutely. Now, I haven't seen... What is the yeah. other slasher? Like, the slasher... Is it House of Wax? Is that what she was in around the same time? Yes. Um, yep. I haven't seen that in a really long time, so I, I don't know how she is in that. I mean... She's fine. All of this batshit <laughs> insanity is paid off in the moment that's that in the middle of a musical number, Paris Hilton's face melts off. And it's <laughs> so incredibly <laughs> bizarre. And they're like presumably just stapled it onto her before the show because she's the one as we mentioned earlier is addicted to zydrate and she's addicted to she's addicted to the knife and i feel like they're like trying to have some sort of social commentary there about body modification and plastic surgery but it misses that mark and then she does her song and her face is peeling off Yeah, like wallpaper coming off a wall. Yeah. But I <laughs> no. I don't yes. That was a that was somehow in everything we had seen up to that point, it was still surprising when her face fell off. It's the most like visceral <laughs> thing in the movie to me because it's like peeling slowly. It's and it's it, actually pretty realistic looking. Yeah. Yeah, I've got gotta give him credit on a number of the practical effects. But I don't want us to lose entirely a discussion about that scene where the, the three of them are arguing because it is so jarringly bad and you can, they, they could have done it in a way where they really like play it up. I thought of this today of um, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen in Sweeney Todd where Sasha Baron Cohen is a, is a good singer. And in that movie, he's doing this like very like big character and he's not singing bad, but it's very stylized and it's not like in his kind of usual voice. And they could have done something like that here, but instead what they did was just had them sing terribly and off key. And, and it, it's just, you're going from like decent musical numbers. You know, you can find people to enjoy in all of them. You get some Paul Sorvino before that. Some of the Anthony Stewart had Sarah Brightman hasn't come in yet to, to grace us with her beautiful voice. And then it's in the middle of it is the three of them. It's, oh, I, I, it makes me almost want to turn the movie off when I see. It. Yeah. This and the 17 
number that Shiloh has. 17. Where it's the punk oh number out of nowhere that goes with absolutely nothing else <laughs> in this movie and doesn't... The I Hate You Dad song? Doesn't match her personality that's been shown in any way whatsoever pre- previously in the movie. Yeah, at one point she just like turns around and there's a full punk band in her bedroom and now she has like black you know black braids instead of you know blonde hair i guess she's also wearing a wig though the entire movie with with joan jett joan jett is in that scene yeah was she yes she's the she's the guitar (laughs) player oh my goodness Mm -hmm. i that was my biggest double take was i was watching it i had to rewind (laughs) it i'm like no they and that's the thing it's like there's so much happening and they're just like how how do you make a movie like this i don't know how can this many people show up to work and think this will work and (laughs) something like this gets made it just it boggles the mind i don't know about the sibling number but the studio wanted them to cut the 17 number after initial screenings and they're like, no, no, we have to keep this. We have to, they want, you know, studios don't always know what's the best thing for a movie. And I'm like, no, no, in this case, it should have, <laughs> it should have gone. It's sort of like, I'm rebelling against you, dad, number from a girl who is yeah. literally like this little mouse of a person who has never, you know, it's not like she's told her best friend, God, I'm really, you know, chafing against my dad's strict rules. And one of these days, it's all just going to blow up in his face or anything like that. She's never spoken any kind of sentiments like that before. And all of a sudden, this nastiness bursts out of her. And she's like giving the middle finger on both hands to her dad while she's spitting the punk (laughs) song at him. Not terribly well, I might add. Something's changing. I can feel it. Seventeen now, but can't you see it? Seventeen and you can't stop me. Seventeen and you will boss me. I mean, in in fairness to her, this is the point in which she realizes that he has been lying to her. That that you know, yes, she has a godmother, you know, ostensibly someone who is familial-esque outside of their household because all they have is him, her, and some creepy holographic paintings of her mom. Holographic paintings (laughs) of this world. (laughs) Right. I love the way the, 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 I love how the aesthetic of the world is like on the ground, there's some really impressive like stagecraft in a sound stage. You have this fair that is just something like weirdly out of like a Victorian Blade Runner type thing. I don't even know what it is. And then it like the camera pans up and it's just really bad skyboxes with like floating advertisements and stuff that is, they, they could have not shown any of the cityscape and it would have served them well. Yeah. It doesn't look very good. Yeah. So best response ever to being offered a decaf. This is in that fair, isn't it? Yes. Pouncing through the fair? The, the angry sibling is stomping around going, Someone's gonna hang if I don't get my coffee! Decaf? I will shoot you in the face! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was that was the only part of the uh, of the siblings that, that I found enjoyable was that exact moment. And also, 
<laughs> and also at some point when the angry one says, uh, you break my friggin' heart or something, he delivers that with sort of a similar gusto. What is going on? Mag was Marnie's best friend. You break my friggin' heart! He does everything with gusto. There is literally no setting below 11 There's for no this guy. Gusto. Um, the gusto budget must have been through the roof. Right. And for some reason, like the brother who's wearing artificial faces all the time has an accent. Sure. Yeah. None so of the no rest one, of them do. No <laughs> right. Like they're, they're presumably like an Italian family, like Luigi, and then their dad is, I don't know. Pavi. Yeah. I'm going to look something up here real quick because I got to know what came first. There is a Batman storyline called Death of the Family in which the Joker at some point had had his face removed. We're not going to get into it. It was a weird time. And then came back and like got, had gotten the face. There's a woman running around wearing it for a while claiming she was the Joker's daughter. Not important, but I still feel like I need to mention that. He gets it and like straps it to his face with like straps. I, I, it's like occurring to me now how similar that is to repo and i just looked up this repo came out first so i'm guessing it influenced a batman story interesting but i mean with this look i mean he becomes and his exaggerated gesturing and everything he becomes a a joker-esque character yeah yeah it certainly fits the look yes yeah do we know if there were any changes made between the stage script and the screenplay? Like, are, are we very familiar with what what this adaptation looked like from that standpoint? I I don't. There's not like a ton about the stage show out there. I yeah. I tried. I'm the one who asked this question because I was hoping David knew. <laughs> right. I tried to look it up, and it's very difficult <laughs> to search because most of the articles I found were about. This movie and the similarities between it and a film called Repo Men. Sure. Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker about two guys who go around repossessing organs from people. That was actually based on a short story that was written a while back. But, you know, Repo's been in development as a stage show separately for years as well. And so the pro- the producers of each say they're they have no problem with one another that it's it seems like just a coincidental uh occurrence to them and there was also a short film of this of repo the genetic opera made uh, yeah it was like a proof of concept with with michael rooker as the yeah oh man no i don't need that in my life (laughs) i just don't (laughs) uh that would have been interesting can he sing I don't know. I, I mean, I think you can find it out there. If he sings, I'm in. If it's Michael Rooker singing, I'm you're, in. You're back. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> I Like I said, I think Anthony Stewart Head is great in this movie. He's got the perfect voice for it. I think he does the acting well. I was very surprised because I'd only, I, I didn't have like cognitive dissonance about it because I'm not, it's not that I don't like it. It's just, I'm not a Buffy fan. I've only seen like four episodes of the series. I just never got into it. It happened to not, didn't grow on me the way that I thought it might. And so that's, you know, and other people love it and that's great. That's fine. So I didn't, I wasn't like, oh my God, why is Giles playing this strange role where he's a murderer and he's horrible? And, <laughs> you know, but I, I was very startled 
to hear this voice coming out of him, and he sings it fantastically. You know, what he's given to do, he does incredibly well. And uh, by, by the way, hit me one more time. We recently did an episode on Buffy. If you want to know if it still holds up now, if you haven't watched it in a long time, go uh, listen to that, and you can, you can hear. <laughs> I could talk about Giles. Like, there's a thought about that the show we didn't get to talk about but back on anthony stewart head yeah love the guy i've said it like six times in this episode i'll, I'll shut up about it <laughs> but brett brett if you have any thoughts on on him in this movie i know you said you liked thankless job quite a bit thankless job is my favorite song in the movie for sure he he's the most melodramatic to me yeah and i think that works because of the type of material he's working with but it very much is like the looking all somber and then quickly turning his head to the camera to yell the rest of the song and like to do these really intense sweeps in emotion. But for his character, it works. It works fairly well. I think he's the most fun person to watch aside from the grave robber. Yeah. So I, I find Shiloh just frustrating yeah. because <sighs> like there's <laughs> what are you, like, why are you here? <laughs> I, what do, what purpose do you serve to this plot? I know she's supposed to be the one that gets the company. I wondered if they hired her because she was kind of famous, but inexpensive. This is Alexa yeah. Vega. She was in all the Spy Kids movies. Oh, okay. And she she sings okay. Yeah. But it, she does not have a strong voice. There are several really strong singers in this movie, and... She is not, and yet she's got one of the most central roles. Right. And the, the whole movie revolves around her character. She doesn't have much more screen time than Anthony Stewart Head does, but she's called upon to, the weight of the narrative is on her. And I'm not sure why she was cast with a voice that doesn't really support the material. I must be brave. And yet she spends so much of her screen time just visually reacting to everybody else where like everyone <laughs> right. around her is stuff yeah. is going on and she's just there like in shock most of the time. And they have these wrist. Um, I'm describing a watch. They have these watches that little holograms pop out of. So you can, you know, talk to someone on FaceTime. It's a smartwatch hologram watchiness. Yeah, and just like like at the beginning of the movie, Paul Sorvino shows up and he's like, meet me at your mother's tomb. It's like, do you even know this person? <laughs> and she just goes to her mom's tomb as one does when summoned by a stranger. This movie just kind of broke me in so many ways. It's just, <laughs> it's so weird. Here's the weirdest thing. It's so incredibly bizarre. And listener, whatever you're thinking about this movie, having not seen it, I guarantee you it's 10 times weirder than whatever you're picturing in your mind. Yet somehow, like, weird parts of it work. Like, I think all three of us would be interested in seeing this in a midnight movie setting when the world is normal again, because it's so weird and so it owns its weirdness. It is, it is, it's fairly self-aware of how bizarre it is. Yeah. It, it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think bizarre is the right word. I don't think it's, <laughs> it helps that last week I watched uh house. I watched the, uh, 
Japanese horror movie slash experimental film slash comedy slash slash like fantasy ghost story. It's that's an incredibly weird film. There is some really weird. A girl gets mm. eaten by a piano. Uh, <laughs> some weird stuff in that movie. Uh, disembodied head bites someone on the butt. You know, it's it, it's very strange. So this seemed less. I was less inclined to call this weird, <laughs> but it is it is bizarre. It may you know it's got some some strange bits to it. It's very gothy. It's sort of neo futuristic. It's a little bit cyberpunky. It's a, supposedly a little bit Blade Runner. You know, it's the dystopian future tech kind of story. But yeah, I did. Right. I kind of enjoyed it. You know, the parts that I didn't actively dislike, I felt I was really engaged the whole time. <laughs> so like the parts I actively disliked, I was sitting there going, oh, this should have been different. This should have been, you know, this should have been done by a different singer. They should have done this in a different style. And I, But I wasn't, uh, I'm bored. <laughs> so... I I am so. I was never bored watching this. Can't can't be bored. It's <laughs> no. It, it demands a reaction, and you could hate it. I, I would never blame anybody for hating this movie because this is a movie that's not going to be for everyone. <laughs> but my God, am I glad this movie exists? I'm so glad that somebody thought to make this strange film. Partially because like it's fun to talk about here, and I and I. I've seen it before and I wanted to see it again. Like a, a year's passed and I was like, you know what? It'd be kind of fun to watch it another time. But also like, I know it's going to inspire some, some kids to make a movie and like start their career. And we're going to get a new, you know, a new like branch of weird filmmakers who are trying strange things because they saw a movie like this and were like, you can do that in a movie. It's like, yeah, man, go for it. Well, uh, I'm glad this, insane movie exists just like you uh but we are going to go ahead and wrap it up here we're having a slightly shorter episode this week due to some scheduling conflicts uh but that of course means that we are going to hopefully by the time this episode comes out we're going to go ahead and make up for it because this episode should be coming out right before christmas and we are going to do a special we've never done that before we're going to do a special for it's a wonderful life David has never seen it before, so we're very excited to show it to him. It's Nicole's favorite movie. So we are doing It's a Wonderful Life. It's going to come out on the 24th, which I believe when that week comes around, it's going to be a Friday. So check it out this Friday if you're listening when this episode comes out. And we're watching It's a Wonderful Life. And that is going to be before Lamageddon. So even though I announced that earlier, I just remembered that we're doing a holiday special. So it's going to be It's a Wonderful Life. And then Lamageddon. But let's go around the horn so we can find everybody online. David, what about you? Uh, just follow me on Twitter under the username Davluz. That's D-A-V-L-U-Z. You'll find all what I'm doing there. Very good. And Nicole? I take care of our Facebook page, facebook.com slash moviegoroundpodcast. Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. You can find all the links we just mentioned and more at social.mgrpodcast.com and email the show. Hi, H-I at mgrpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. What do you think of this weird movie? We'd love to hear. But check it out on Friday when this comes out. We will be releasing It's a Wonderful Life. So happy holidays. Happy holidays.